After last week's encounter with Baudrillard, I thought Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance, would make for a, a nice change of pace. It's been a, a good few years since I last sat down and read through the whole thing, so when I sat down this week to read through it, I found myself blown away once again by just how good it is. If you've never read it, I would highly recommend taking five minutes, sit down, read the first few paragraphs. Um, I'll put a link to it in the cards or down in the description. It's it's an absolutely sublime bit of work and partly I found myself reading it in light of who I am today and who I was when I first read it and I can see how much it coloured my worldview and shaped who I am today and now also knowing how much Emerson was a, a big influence on Nietzsche, I can see that that effect is, is doubled. Reading it is after getting me jazzed up again about what, what living philosophy means for me because everything that I mean and everything that I feel with the words living philosophy is embodied in this essay. I can see where the idea of the living philosophy came from and yeah, just I can't recommend this essay enough. Obviously this time round I had another intention when reading it as well and that was the eye of a communicator. I was reading it with an eye to its essence, an eye to what it is about, how it unfolds and why it is so amazing. And being quite a floral rhetorical piece rather than an argument made up of a series of propositions, I actually had a bit of difficulty unearthing the structure of the essay. I could go down a whole rabbit hole on this because I've been thinking a lot recently about how, why we read and how we read and, and how to get the most out of what we're reading. This time anyway, I thought I'd play with a lens that I picked up from my recent dabblings in continental philosophy, and that is the idea of binary oppositions, essentially pairs of opposites, something I imagine we'll be exploring in much more depth when we start talking about Derrida. So I began looking for the binary oppositions in Emerson's piece, and I can only recommend this approach highly enough because it unlocked the entire essay for me. I could now see the things that Emerson valued both in their hallowed, haloed form and in their shadow of vice form. And so I thought that this might make an interesting way of approaching this essay of all essays, through the medium of the binary oppositions that show what Emerson truly values. So this episode is going to be an exploration of Emerson's work through the lens of these binaries, greatness versus meanness, the aboriginal self versus society, the past versus the present, and self-reliance versus conformity. A good opposition to start with which really sets the scene is Emerson's dichotomy between greatness or meanness, or to use Nietzsche's preferred term, mediocrity. What the great value of self-reliance is seeking to bring about is the state of greatness and genius. Emerson is concerned with the great people of history and he's encouraging us loyal readers to rise above the inertia of mediocrity and to attain the levels of human greatness. The kind of people he has in mind aren't just sages, but statesmen, generals, scientists and mystics. There's Jesus and Socrates, Napoleon and Scipio, Pythagoras, Newton, Emmanuel Swedenborg, Diogenes, Zoroaster, Washington and Caesar, among a few others. These are all great individuals who left an indelible mark on the world. It wasn't through the force of pen or sword that they did so, but through the force of character. They were all self-reliant individuals who broke free from the gravity of society and were true to their inner genius. Emerson calls us to rise to the heights that are possible of humanity and to count ourselves among the greats rather than succumbing to the inertia of mediocrity. The second key binary opposition is between society and what Emerson calls the aboriginal self. The aboriginal self is the source of all genius. It's the source of virtue and of life. 
This source, Emerson tells us, can be called spontaneity, instinct or intuition, after which all later teachings are tuitions. There's a whole spiritual dimension to this as well, where Emerson connects this into the idea of the Great One, and you can see the influence of his reading of the Hindu texts and his more mystical strain coming through here, and it's about this connection to the divine spirit, the, the, our soul bleeding into this divine spirit. So there's this transcendentalist undercurrent that goes through the whole thing. So self-reliance then isn't a reliance on a simple ego. It's not about becoming selfish. On the contrary, Emerson tells us that the key trait of self-reliance is obedience and faith. It is following the course of this inner wisdom. He writes that he who has more obedience than I masters me, though he should not raise his finger. This following the self then isn't about forcing our will on the world, but it is to allow a passage to its beams. For those who have studied Jung, this immediately brings to mind his conception of the self, the centre of consciousness around which our ego is to orbit and to be obedient to. Over against this noble oversoul is society. Society is Emerson's big demon in self-reliance. It's everything that the Aboriginal self is not. For all the lightness of the Aboriginal self, society is the darkening, cheapening force in human life. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Society is a joint stock company in which the members agree for the better securing of his bread to each shareholder to surrender the liberty and culture of the eater. Under the influence of society, we told this line of the shoulds and should nots. We become blinker-eyed members of so-called communities of opinion. Society tames the genius of individuals who step out of line with what the mainstream says and greet the genius with sour faces. But Emerson tells us the sour faces of the multitude, like their sweet faces, have no deep cause, but are put on and off as the wind blows and a newspaper directs. Under the influence of society, all of our virtues are impotent. The virtues of those allied to society are penances. It's not something that bubbles up from within. It's not an expression of this soul or spirit, but something that is extorted, something done out of guilt. This capitulation to society's demands scatters your force, and we are left muddied shadows of ourselves. Connected to this society-slash-self-opposition is the binary opposition between the present and the past. The past is what society is loyal to. It wants us to respect the status quo, the way things are, the way the Bible tells us, or the various authorities tell us. The man in the street finding no worth in himself which corresponds to the force which built a tower or sculptured a marble god feels poor when he looks on these. To him, a palace, a statue or a costly book have an alien and forbidding air, much like a gay equipage, and seem to say like that, Who are you, sir? But Emerson reminds us that they are nothing without us. They are all his, suitors for his notice, petitioners to his faculties that they will come out and take possession. The picture waits for my verdict. It is not to command me, but I am to settle its claims to praise. This is what Emerson encourages most in us. It's been true to the voice of that aboriginal self that can only happen in the present, because it is not only the ancient authorities and the status quo that holds us in chains, but it is our own past. In one of the essay's great lines that has stuck with me throughout the years, he says that a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with his own shadow on the wall. Speak what you think now in hard words, and tomorrow speak what tomorrow thinks in hard words again, though it contradict everything you said today. This encouragement towards truth and integrity ties in with the divine spirit that the Aboriginal self is tied up with. This spirit shoves Jesus and Judas equally aside. The great individual belongs to no other time or place. The roses under his window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. 
They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time to them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. The truth is not something revealed a millennia ago in the Bible or the Upanishads or any other sacred text. The truth, the divine spirit, disdains time. It is always in the present. It is always here and now. The past is dead. The present is where life always is. This one fact the world hates, that the soul becomes, for that forever degrades the past. And so Emerson tells us to shun the words in the books, to shun the words of authorities, and to attune ourselves to this inner voice, to what our heart tells us to do. Following the course of this inner star, you may appear inconsistent to those around you. Today you are doing this and the next day you are onto something else. But in an image that has become lodged in my mind since I first read Self-Reliance, Emerson writes that the voyage of the best ship is a zigzag line of a hundred tacks. See the line from a sufficient distance and it straightens itself to the average tendency. Your genuine action will explain itself and will explain your other genuine actions. All of which brings us to the central opposition of the text, self-reliance versus conformity. Your conformity to society's demands explains nothing, but do your work and I shall know you. In yet another gem from self-reliance that has stuck with me over the years and is one of my favourite lines from any book ever, Emerson tells the story of a response he gave to an advisor of his who was, as he put it, always trying to importune him with the dear old doctrines of the church. On my saying, what have I to do with the sacredness of traditions if I live wholly from within? My friend suggested, but these impulses may be from below, not from above. I replied, they do not seem to me to be such, but if I am the devil's child, I will live then from the devil which he follows up with the kicker, no law can be sacred to me but that of my nature. Good and bad are but names, very readily transferable to that or this. The only right is what is after my constitution, the only wrong, what is against it. This is self-reliance in a nutshell. It's setting aside what society tells you to do. It is to put on a sour face if needs be, and to above all be true to your principles, to honour truth above all things, to esteem what is right above the principles of those around you, and to have no law above truths. This is the way to genius. This is the way to greatness. It's to quieten the voices outside of you, to disengage from those external voices and tune in to the inner muse, to the aboriginal self, to the drumbeat of your own soul, which may guide you hither and thither, but there is purpose in all the wandering. As Tolkien wrote, not all who wonder are lost. In our modern civilised world, Emerson sees that we are afraid of truth, afraid of fortune, afraid of death and afraid of each other. But the greats, the self-reliant individuals, embrace the rugged battle of fate where strength is born. And rather than dwelling on the past, they walk abreast with their days. And so Emerson tells us to go swim in the internal ocean and to stop going to society to beg a cup of water. In summary then, self-reliance is a call for each of us to embrace our potential and to live fearlessly in obedience to our highest and deepest nature. It's about setting aside the voices of the masses and the past and to start living according to truth now. It's an amazing essay that, again, I can't recommend reading enough. For now, though, that's everything for this episode of The Living Philosophy. If you've enjoyed it, please give the video a thumbs up down below. And if you loved it and you love what we're putting out here on The Living Philosophy, then you can support the cause by heading over to Patreon, where you can support the channel like these lovely people here. As ever, if you have any thoughts, insights or feedback, I'd love to hear from you down in the comments. Otherwise, I shall see you next time. Thank you for watching.